This is ASHA Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. Today's guest will be presenting at this summer's Connect online conference and is sharing stories of the surprises she's encountered because of COVID-19. D. Nick J. looks at three questions she's hearing about billing and coding during COVID-19, like one about a specific evaluation being done in a surprising way. This was the first question that I got that I, I really never imagined this situation. You may be surprised to hear the stories behind these questions. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA Professional Development. The popular ASHA Connect conferences moved online to keep registrants safe during COVID-19. This online event for SLPs will take place from July 8th through 20th. Register now and save $100. Visit asha.org events connect to learn more. COVID-19 is changing the way we work, but some healthcare professionals are asking if it is also changing the way SLPs bill and code. SLP D. Nick J. joins us now to share three of the most interesting questions about billing and coding she's received during the pandemic. Nick J. is a co-chair of ASHA's Healthcare Economics Committee. She works as an expert witness for the U.S. Department of Justice on matters related to speech-language pathology. She brought three questions about coding and billing with her when she joined me from Florida. I started by asking her how early it was in the pandemic that she began to think about billing and coding implications. Probably right away, um, as soon as we realized that practice was not going to continue in the office as it had been or face-to-face with the patient in any situation, whether it was the office or acute hospital or in a SNF, we knew something was going to change. We just didn't know what was going to change and how much it was going to change and how long it would last. And we're kind of still discovering that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's start with question number one. I understand it has to do with clinical swallowing evaluations that are being conducted in a way that some SLPs might not be accustomed to. Right. This was the first question that I got that I I really never imagined this situation. And in this case, the colleague worked in an, an acute care hospital, a very large hospital, and they had a large number of patients with COVID-19. And the SLPs were told, as well as other therapists, to manage the patient without entering the room because of the shortage on personal protection equipment. So the person that could go into the room was the nurse. So when a patient in isolation needed a clinical evaluation of swallowing, the SLP coordinated with the patient's nurse who followed the instructions while the SLP was standing outside the room in the hallway. So the question that came to me was, well, first of all, is this ethical? Is this, is this ethical practice? And then the second question was, well, if it is, how do we code for this? So, you know, in my opinion, the SLP conducted a chart review. They discussed the patient and the procedures with the medical team. They actually directed the assessment, much like they would if it was a a student that they were supervising. And then the SLP was responsible for analyzing and writing the note with recommendations. So I really don't see any ethical conflict or any coding conflict. I think it's definitely appropriate to code that as a clinical swallow evaluation. That's an interesting question. It still must be difficult for the SLP to have to stand outside the room. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just, again, a situation that 
one could not anticipate. Yeah. On the question number two, people are working remotely, and I'm talking about telepractice. I know there are some privacy concerns about what technology and software is being used. What are you hearing? Well, this is true. There were restrictions because of our HIPAA laws. HIPAA stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And it's actually, it's like a privacy act for patients and and clients, if you will. And in this case, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the HIPAA laws have been relaxed. So the questions are, well, if they have been relaxed, what kind of, what entities can we use? Can we, is the telephone fine? Can we have therapy over the telephone? Do we need to have both audio and visual? So all of these questions were coming in to ASHA staff and and occasionally to me as well. You know, so we had to dive in to see, well, exactly, we know that HIPAA has been relaxed, but what can actually be considered acceptable practice. So the question, one of the main questions that I got was, will I get paid if I provide SLP services from my home to my client using Zoom or Skype? And actually, yes, you can. It is possible during this time and it is occurring. But what I would caution to SLPs is that they need to act cautiously themselves and to keep informed. So not only a federal regulation such as HIPAA, but also state licensure laws. Being an SLP, are you even allowed in your state to have telepractice or telehealth? So that would be the first thing I would ask. But they also need to know their payer policies. So let's say your state licensure law allows you to practice via telehealth. But how about the client's payer? Are they going to pay for an SLP procedure via telepractice? And if they are, what are their specific payer policies? I mean, because until recently, Medicare did not cover um, SLP telepractice. We are not recognized by law for Medicare to perform telehealth or telepractice, as ASHA refers to it. But given the circumstances CMS or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid are temporarily paying and allowing certain procedures to be done by speech language pathologists via telehealth just during this pandemic. It will not be permanent. Uh, We hope at some time that it may be, but right now this is just a, a temporary grant that we have during the pandemic. And then I want to ask the speech pathologist you know, we all talk quite a bit about payment and practice policy, but really the most important component in this situation is our client or our patient. So even if the payer is supporting the SLP to perform therapy via telepractice, is the client or the patient appropriate to participate in this or to benefit from telepractice? I mean, telepractice isn't appropriate for everyone. So the use of telepractice must be equivalent to the quality of services provided in person, and it must be consistent with ASHA's code of ethics and with our scope of practice. So the services still must be considered skilled services and based on the medical necessity that only an SLP 
can provide. So again, I think the bottom line question is, is this appropriate for this patient or for this client? So what I'm hearing you say is there are a lot of things to consider. There's an opportunity here for telepractice, but you need to check not just with the current federal standing, but also your state and a few other places before you start the practice. And then underneath all of that, is this clinically the right decision to use telepractice? Correct. Absolutely. I want to interrupt briefly to let you know of ASHA's many COVID-19 resources. Find them at asha.org by navigating to the resource you need through the COVID-19 banner. Want to know more about coding and billing for telepractice during the pandemic? ASHA is keeping an updated list of payer coverage guidelines for audiologists and SLPs during the pandemic. Find them at asha.org slash about slash coronavirus dash updates. Or contact the healthcare and education policy team at reimbursement at asha.org. At the end of our conversation, D. Nick J. shared one last question about a very specific situation. So let me try and clarify this, this particular question. Specifically, the question was, what do we do if a Medicare Part B beneficiary needs a non-instrumental clinical evaluation of swallowing and swallowing therapy and is unable to come to our outpatient facility? Okay, here, here's the issue. With Medicare Part B, as I said, Medicare approved certain procedures to be performed by speech-language pathologists during the pandemic. That list is restricted, and that list of procedures did not include the non-instrumental clinical evaluation or swallowing therapy. They will not cover that provided by telepractice. They will only cover that face-to-face in an outpatient setting. The question then was, well, if the patient is willing and able, may we bill the patient directly? In other words, will the, can the patient self-pay for this procedure for telepractice so that we can evaluate and treat the swallowing disorder? The provision of speech-language therapy is a benefit for a Medicare beneficiary. So if it's a benefit and Medicare is covering it, then you cannot request the patient to pay for the service out of pocket because it is a benefit and they have Medicare. But in this particular circumstance, Medicare has said, we will not pay for these certain codes, including the the swallowing codes performed by an SLP in telepractice. So since they will not pay, if the patient and the client determine that this is the best for the patient to do this via telepractice, for whatever the reason is, even if it's the patient is just uncomfortable during this time and does not want to come out into a public setting at all, if they agree, then it is appropriate for telepractice, and you can bill the patient directly under a private pay agreement. We recommend, we meaning myself and and ASHA's staff that I work with, that you get the patient's informed consent from either the patient or, or the family, whoever has that authority, in writing before beginning telepractice services. And you code the same CPT procedure code as you would for inpatient services and follow all other current coding guidelines. So one more thing to consider in this time. 
Absolutely. It just, it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. The three questions, three ways of delivering services outside the norm. What are the chance any of these changes stick around or create a lasting influence on how SLPs practice and bill? Well, what we hope for is that we will continue to be um, considered a qualified provider of telehealth by Medicare. That is going to require a law change. So there, there may be a break between now as, as it's just a temporary grant and what may happen in the future, but we've been working towards that for a long period of time. So we're really hoping that we can show that we are responsible as practitioners of telehealth and that at some point in hopefully the near future, we will be considered providers of telehealth by Medicare. At this point in time, though, we are not, that we only have a temporary allowance. Dee, when we talk about policy issues, there's another set of policies that are getting some attention. That's the policies that surround student supervision. Is that something you could comment on? I can comment briefly on that, and it most certainly, oh, I mean, the the fact that our university clinics are, many of them have closed, if not all of them have closed, and they've all been working on protocols, changes in protocols. ASH's Council for Clinical Certification in Audiology and Speech-Language Pathology, which is often referred to as CFCC, has determined that from March 16th to August 31st of 2020, the level of graduate student supervision should be 100% direct supervision of telepractice sessions in real time. A quick note, since this interview was recorded in May, the CFCC has extended this to December 31st, 2020. Now, for the purposes of ASHA certification, student clinicians and clinical educators and clients and patients, on they're, all of them are permitted to be in their own separate locations. In other words, the student does, ha- does not have to come into the clinic and use a computer in the clinic for telepractice. They can actually be in their own home and everyone can connect from their own computers in their own locations. In addition to this, CFCC has said that multiple students may participate in an online teletherapy session with one client in the same session. This is definitely something new. Each student will earn the full hour toward the completion of their clinical practicum, and the details of this will be determined by each individual university program and clinic director, as well as the total number of hours that may be earned through telepractice. That's also at the discretion of the program and clinic directors. There's a great resource for more information on this student practicum. Again, if you go to ASH's website and look at the COVID-19 pandemic information, you'll see guidance for graduate program students and clinical fellows from the uh, CFCC. Dean Nick Jay, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Hear more from D. Nick J. Nick J is presenting as a part of ASHA's Online Connect conferences. The popular ASHA Connect conferences have moved online this year to keep registrants safe during COVID-19. Find presentations in one online space from July 8th through 20th and earn ASHA CEUs. Nick J will be presenting on healthcare coding and compliance. That presentation will have a section dedicated to COVID-19. Nick J will be joined in that presentation by ASHA's coding and reimbursement expert, Neela Swanson.
And you can also catch Nick J presenting on the topic of navigating supervision and payment issues in healthcare and private practice settings. Find out more by going to asha.org events slash connect. And if you are ever seeking ethical guidance for a situation, like the one Nick J presented in her first question, you can find Asha's 2016 Code of Ethics online. It's at asha.org slash code dash of dash ethics. Or contact the ethics team. Send them an email at ethics at asha.org. Asha Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the Asha Leader magazine. Production assistance for Asha Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm JD Gray, and this is Asha Voices. <laughs>